This is an ABC News special, COVID-19, What You Need to Know. Here is ABC News correspondent Aaron Katursky. We have reached the end of what was promised to be a difficult week, and it was. The nationwide death toll from coronavirus approached 20,000. Where the virus hit hardest, there are signs the curve is flattening. In places like Boston, the surge is starting. Mayor Marty Walsh is with us now, and Mr. Mayor, what's your projection for when the peak hits? What we're seeing in Boston uh, over the last five days is I, I think if our numbers are, are, have been in the triple digits starting at like 200 uh, yesterday, our increases were three, uh, 310. So we're starting to see uh, these numbers go really, really high. I think 50% of our cases probably roughly maybe 40% in the, in the last five days. So we're starting to see this, this surge here in Boston. Our hospital capacity as of right now is okay, um, but we have built um, at the convention center here in Boston, we've built... 1,000 bed facility, 500 for uh, COVID positive homeless folks, and then 500 for backup rooms for hospitals with the, with the ability to expand more. So as of right now, I mean, I think the, the surge, everyone said is starting today through the 20th, roughly, maybe a little even further. Um, so right now, today we're prepared, but I don't think anybody can give us an accurate number on data to say how big, how big is the surge going to be and what's going to be the number of potential hospital stays that are going to happen. You're okay though on, on on ventilators, ICU beds, PPE. I mean, we're okay right now. When I say when I say we're okay right now, the hospitals have the ability to handle it. But I, I don't think anyone is as prepared as they need to be uh, because of what, what we're seeing in like New York and the number of deaths still increasing. And everyone's saying that the numbers are the numbers of hospitals uh, stays are kind of leveling off. But I don't think that will potentially. Hopefully, we're prepared enough. That's all I can say right now with this pandemic. You've been pretty aggressive, though, in, in doing what you can as a mayor, telling people to wear face coverings and the like. You, you, you believe in social distancing. Yeah, we came out quick on this. Um, you know, basically, I'll give you a quick timeline. Our first case of coronavirus was around February 1st and 2nd. Uh, our next case wasn't until about the, the, the 4th of March. And then a couple of days later, we had five cases. Uh, and then after that, uh, we began immediately starting to, to close things down. And within a matter of a week, pretty much everything was shut down or canceled in our city. Um, and, and then last week, we, we instituted some new, new guidelines or new recommendations saying how you know it's important to wear the mask. Such a high population of people have coronavirus and aren't, aren't showing the symptoms. I also instituted a a recommended curfew between um, 9 p.m. and, and 6 a.m. Uh, and that's really targeting, you know, younger people so they're not out at house parties and things like that. It's, 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 it's not natural for a human being to self-isolate. It, it's, it's actually, in some cases, dangerous. But in this particular case, it's the way that to, to combat this coronavirus. It's Easter weekend. People are going to want to be together. People are going to want to worship together. That's just impossible now. I mean, I think a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the religious um, groups have already, like the, like the Catholics. I'm a Catholic. Have already made, made it very clear that there'll be no church this Sunday, and there was no church for the last couple of weeks. And the importance of celebrating Easter in your own home with your family. But I know it's going to be difficult for individuals not to see their grandparents and their parents. But but for for safety's matter, I, my, my recommendation is stay home. I mean. You're only putting other people in other people in harm's way if you visit them on Sunday. You got to see your mom. No, I, I mean I'll see her through the door. I mean I won't see her in, in person. I'll, I'll swing by the house and bring her a coffee and and you know maybe some flowers. But I'll see her through the door. Um, you know, it's uh, I've seen her a couple times through the door. Um, you know, I, I just get worried. You know, 
you know, that God forbid my mother gets this and she has some illnesses, ailments, and, uh, you know, she doesn't need the coronavirus, I'll tell you that. Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, our thanks to you. We're going to hear from the Archbishop of New York, Timothy Cardinal Dolan, coming up. You heard Mayor Walsh say his city's first case was in February. That's also the time of Mardi Gras, which went on in New Orleans as the coronavirus was circulating undetected. And Louisiana has now become among the hardest-hit states. We've asked Dr. Rebecca Gee at LSU Healthcare Services to join us now. What are you seeing, Dr. Gee? Yeah, so unfortunately, Erin, we had... As a result, likely of the Mardi Gras, we had tremendous numbers of people who were infected here in the greater New Orleans area. And certainly in Louisiana, we know of 18,000 cases, but this is likely just the tip of the iceberg. I wouldn't be surprised if we had 10 times that number of cases in Louisiana. Over 700 dead. Um, New Orleans, where I live, is one of the counties, we call them parishes here in the United States with the most number of deaths per capita. It has really hit us very hard. And of course, we have a high risk population here, people who are already very sick with underlying health issues, and that has contributed to these high death rates. It has just been heartbreaking to hear some of the news out of New Orleans. It is. You know, we, this is a, Mardi Gras is a celebration of life and We've left a trail of death in its wake. And of course, it could have been anywhere. You know, we were unlucky for whatever reason. We had a perfect storm and uh, all of the right conditions for spread were present at the very time we were most at risk. So it, it's it's very unfortunate for our city. How's LSU holding up? We have physicians and nurses on the front line as well, those who are you know, risking their lives every day to, to make sure that the people of the city and the state get care, and we're really proud of them. You know, the other thing that's been challenging is personal protective gear. We've had an equipment. We've had a lot of challenges sourcing those and have had to buy some on eBay even. Um, yesterday I dropped off a, a box of 300 masks that women who are, and men who are in Hollywood who normally sew costumes or movie set paraphernalia have now so does mass but our our staff continue to have daily challenges making sure they have the protection they need making sure that the patients that we have have enough resources the ventilators and so on that are needed to ensure that they survive you're also in a place where access to health care certainly varies in different parts of the population how are you trying to address that now lsu has always had and will continue to have a commitment to care for low income and uninsured, which is why we're really excited about our new partnership to provide free telehealth. We're able to, through KHealth and LSU, lsu.khealth.ai. One of the things that's really important is to reduce the number of people that are calling 911, using ambulances, going to emergency rooms, and we really wanted to decrease the pressure on those services and have people be able to have an, a way to get access to a doctor. And with the K-Health platform and LSU, we're able to, within minutes, get everyone in Louisiana who needs to have questions answered access to a doctor and also have been able to add to that platform a COVID screening tool, as well as resources to tell people where to get screened, how to know if they should be concerned enough to go to a hospital or ER. And I think this is exactly the kind of thing that's needed now but also we hope will diffuse 
into medical care more widely later just because, you know, it's so much more convenient than an office visit. Dr. Rebecca Gee at LSU Healthcare Services, the governor of Louisiana, said today the state was in a better place than it was last week, and he credited compliance with stay-at-home orders. Doctors are raising new concerns, though, that all this time spent at home is hurting our ability to stay generally healthy. We're joined now from the Mayo Clinic by Dr. Vinaya Kumar. Your new catchphrase, Doc, is staying at home does not mean staying on the couch. Different people have different approaches to the shelter-in-place policies and that have been enacted recently. So while some are becoming healthier, meaning they're eating better, they're exercising more, the plurality of Americans are actually having worse diet and worse exercise outcomes. And this is, these are self-reported results, so they know that this is not their normal self. I've seen one report that said we are all retreating to how we ate as a kid. More Oreos, more Chef Boyardee. This is an, a period of time in which you have unstructured days, right? And while you're limited from going outside or rather to public places, that does not mean that you should not be using this time to better yourself in some way. The onus is on us. Once we get into some of these bad habits, it's tough to to break them, or if you gain weight, it's tough to lose it. Yeah, well, just as bad habits are hard to break, good habits are also hard to break. So the things that you can do, let's just go with a diet example first, is to learn how to cook a few healthy meals so you eat out less and depend less on microwave foods. Then regarding the exercise bit, it's important that you tell yourself, that you promise yourself each day that you are going to do a certain set of goals. And you should list those goals out very clearly. So I'm going to climb the steps 10 times a day. I'm going to go for a walk or a run for one mile each day. Limiting those calories and building those good dietary habits are critical in ensuring your overall health. Dr. Vinaya Kumar at the Mayo Clinic. And coming up, two faith leaders are going to join us to talk about Good Friday and Easter weekend. I'm Aaron Katursky, and you're listening to an ABC News special. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. And with me, as always, is ABC Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Jen Ashton. And Dr. Jen, we've talked a lot about how the hospitals have been inundated, of course, with COVID-19 patients. And so, so many people across the country are having to postpone routine treatments. Among them, cancer patients and survivors. We know, I know how scary it is just to live with that diagnosis. But imagine doing that during these times. There is a huge impact. Every year in this country, about one8 million Americans are diagnosed with cancer. Um, So that is a huge number of people. Um, We also know that early on in this pandemic, the American Cancer Society put out a statement recommending that all routine cancer screenings be temporarily postponed, which, of course, uh, can trigger a lot of fear and anxiety for people. And as a result of that, we also know now that people who have already been diagnosed with cancer are now facing delays in their treatment. So it's a stressful time, both medically and psychologically. I mean, for people who are fighting cancer, what can they expect to face right now? Well, I think we have to understand that there's a lot we still have to learn about how cancer and COVID-19 or this coronavirus interacts from 
already very limited published preliminary data that comes out of China, it does appear that people with cancer face a higher risk of death than people without cancer. Uh, the risk was 7.6% for people with cancer versus 1.4% of someone without any pre-existing medical condition. We also think that if someone who is in the process of having treatment for cancer becomes sick with COVID-19, that we have to prioritize, and it's probably a better idea for the cancer treatment to be put on hold and to just manage the coronavirus or COVID-19, because cancer treatments can weaken the immune system in and of themselves. So we don't want to add salt to the wound. Wow. And, and what don't we know right now about how COVID-19 affects cancer patients? There's still a lot to learn, Amy. I mean, first of all, we don't know how this pandemic will play out in terms of affecting new diagnoses of cancer in this country. We also don't know if the pandemic will have an effect on mortality rates or death rates, either because of delay in treatment uh, for people who already have cancer or because they're getting sicker with COVID-19. And we also don't know how different types of cancer may interact with COVID-19. So, for example, we don't know if someone battling breast cancer will fare differently with exposure or disease uh, of coronavirus versus someone, let's say, with colorectal cancer. There's still a lot of data that needs to be collected and then studied. All right, Dr. Jen Ashton, we will be checking in with you shortly. Well, now to the city of Atlanta and efforts there to ensure those hardest hit by the crisis are not forgotten. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms has been guiding that charge, and she is here with more on what is happening. Mayor, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate your time. And I know you've just put a plan in place to help the homeless in your community. It's a population often overlooked. How's that going to work? Well, thank you for having me. And certainly as we're looking at how COVID-19 is affecting all of our communities, we have to think about our most vulnerable populations, including our homeless population. We've had an influx of homeless people sleeping in our airport. So many businesses are closed where they may go and charge up their phones or, or grab a bite to eat. And really our airport has been the shelter of last resort for so many of them. So we've set aside over $8 million in our city budget to help with these efforts. We've also recently set aside an additional $1.5 million looking for a philanthropic and corporate match to that so that not only can we get people housed, but we can make sure that as we have them in a central location, that we are able to provide the supportive services that can help end this cycle of homelessness. Yeah, and in terms of support, so many Atlant Atlantans, as uh, so many Americans, facing difficulties with their bills given the unemployment rates. You have a plan to help residents who are in public housing with rent. Tell us about that. Thankfully, we were able to get ahead of the curve on so many issues that we anticipated would come um, into play impacting our communities. One of the things that I did via executive order was to call upon our partners who receive funding from the city of Atlanta and our economic development arm to suspend evictions. And so if you have a voucher from the Atlanta Housing Authority and some of our other governmental agencies, we've asked that evictions be suspended. We also suspended water bill payments for 60 days, and we will likely extend that 
because we anticipated that people would face financial hardships, but we're also giving people an opportunity to assist us in these efforts. We have a website, atlstrong.org, and we're asking people, if you can give $5, please do it. If you can give 5000 or more, we certainly appreciate that as well, but it's to help with our housing costs for our residents, with our efforts towards our homeless population, and to continue to provide food services to our uh, students and seniors who are also struggling during this time. You know, you have done a lot of anticipating in all of this. You took a very aggressive approach early on by ordering a shelter in place, even before the governor issued a statewide order. Has it made a difference, and how long do you think it will continue? Well, we are very hopeful and very prayerful that it has made a difference. With the consultation of Dr. Carlos Del Rio from Emory University, one of the leading infectious disease experts in the country, uh, he made it very clear to us that we needed to shut the city down immediately. Thus far, we have not seen our hospitals overrun in the way that, of course, we've seen it in places like New York, the telltale sign for us as a city will be over the next two weeks. And so hopefully what we did in the city of Atlanta will have an impact. The governor did lag behind uh, a bit in extending that for the state as a whole. But anytime you have a capital city like Atlanta uh, making a bold move in the way that we did, thankfully other cities Followed. And so it's our hope that we we don't see the impact that we're seeing in other cities. But like the rest of the country, we'll be paying very close attention over the next week or so. Well, we wish you the very best down there in Atlanta. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. More than 16 million new jobless claims have been filed in just the past three weeks. Joining us now on how to navigate the process for filing unemployment is the National Employment Law Project's senior policy analyst, Michelle Evermore. Michelle, what do people need to know when they go to file? What are your top three tips? Number one, have your information ready to file. That includes your social security number, your home address and mailing address, telephone number, email address, your bank name, address, account number, and routing number, uh, your employer's name and address and phone number for the last 18 months, first and last day worked with your employer, reason for leaving, and any pension or severance package information. Number two, file online as soon as you can and apply. Even if you're sure not you're not eligible, there may be new benefits you qualify for. Also, when applying, get the facts right. Do your best not to make a mistake. One mistake can cost you money down the line. And most importantly, do not lose your password. If you lose your password, you may need to call the unemployment office to have them reset it or possibly even have them mail you a new one. It's not only a headache, but it costs you more time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And speaking of calling, people have been complaining, understandably, that unemployment sites are crashing. Office phones are going unanswered if you make those phone calls. So are there certain times when it's better to file? It depends on the state. If your state has servers open 24 hours, try filing late at night. But many states only have their websites open for filing from 9 to 5 p.m. As for phones, keep calling and be patient. States are staffing up. A billion dollars was just distributed to help with those very problems. By next week, states should have a lot more staff. So don't give up hope. Keep fighting for it. It's a benefit that you've earned. Yeah, uh, and hopefully the this, this staff can uh, rev up. What do you expect the numbers to do in the coming weeks? Is it going to get much worse? 
I think that it, it will get worse because there are many new people who are eligible and uh, there are people who have been waiting in line and haven't been able to file. All right. So we're going to probably see those numbers continue to rise. But pack your patience. There is help out there. Michelle Evermore, thanks so much for those tips. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. And much more ahead right here on What You Need to Know. Millions of Americans getting ready to worship in a, an entirely new way this Easter weekend. Two popular faith leaders are joining us on this Good Friday. So stay with us. This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. And welcome back, everyone, as millions of people around the world are coming up with new ways to celebrate Passover and Easter this year. Many are looking to their religious leaders for guidance on just how to do it. And here to talk about that, about keeping the faith alive, is the Archbishop of New York, Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Cardinal Dolan, thank you so much for being with us. And I know that you know Easter, the holiest day of the year for Catholics across the world. So what are the Catholic Church and its leaders doing to encourage hope and faith during these times? Uh, We're doing a lot, and I'm glad you asked the question, because most people think because the church, small c, the church buildings might be closed as we we try our best to observe these uh, very realistic and prudent guidelines. The church, capital C, can never be closed, all right? So the church continuing the life and presence and mercy and grace of Jesus, that goes on in some ways— Uh, in an even more vigorous way than if the buildings were open. Let me give you a couple examples, uh, Amy. One would be simply through faith and prayer, and there's tons of that. I don't think it's too uh, uh, naive to say that there seems to be a rediscovery and a revival of prayer. I'm hearing that Mm -hmm. from everybody. And we're encouraging that, and we keep people in, in, in contact with the church through live streaming, through uh, our radio, uh, Catholic Radio, Catholic Faith Network, parishes, our priests are live streaming masses and the devotions and sacred liturgies of Holy Week. So there's one way, just in the faith and the prayer of our people, that might be, I'm convinced, more robust than ever. And secondly, Amy, it would be in the uh, active works of the church. So Catholic Charities is, is, is more expanded than ever. Arch Care, which is our health care apostolate here in, in the New York City area, the demands upon them have been amazing, and their ability to meet those, those demands has been even more amazing. So, and even in our parishes, Amy, in the simplest ways, uh, I mean, you got I, one pastor was telling me how he's assigned a, a young family on every block. He gives them the names and addresses of their neighbors who are housebound. Mm. And just if you give them a call every day to see if they need anything, that charity, that love, that concern, that's a vibrant mm. part of the church as well, which has still gone on strong. Yeah. The church has never become more convenient or more important during these times. Is there a message of hope you can share with us as we head into this Holy Weekend? Yeah, you know, the the, the message comes not from me. I'm sometimes as got as many questions as as you all do and wondering what the Lord has in mind. So the message comes from the very from the very mystery of these feasts that we're celebrating. Uh, what's this all about? Good Friday is about darkness. It's about death. It's because it's about the apparent triumph of evil. And um, 
And I think we're, a lot of us feel in a, a locked into a Good Friday posture these days. But then we pass over, conscious that our Jewish neighbors are celebrating their Passover too. We pass over from the darkness and death and evil of Good Friday to the radiance, the new life, the resurrection of, of the man who died on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday morning. And we're doing that. We're doing that, too. Our Jewish neighbors are celebrating God delivering them from degradation and slavery and oppression in Egypt, passing over the desert to new life, hope and promise in Israel. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He passed over from death to life, from evil to good, from darkness to light. And darn it, we're all invited to connect with that Passover and that Good Friday Easter message. And that's what gives us hope, that, that what, what, what might drag us down that we see in the world today is not going to have the last word. Well, thank you for taking us to church on this Good Friday without ever leaving our homes. Cardinal Timothy Dolan, thank you so much for that hope and for reminding us that faith is right at our fingertips these days. Thank you. We turn again now to Dr. Jen Ashton, who has answers to the questions you've been sending in. We have another bunch of good ones, Dr. Jen, so we'll get started with the first one. This is interesting. I have heard tonic water and zinc help prevent the virus. Is this true? Well, I am a big fan of tonic water when mixed with gin, <laughs> um, but there, I, I just want to be clear. There, there's a historic basis for this that Tonic water contains quinine, and that can um, be part of the chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine experimental drug trials against COVID-19. However, the current tonic water that you may be mixing in with your gin um, does not have enough. You would have to drink massive, massive amounts. It may not even be possible anymore. In, in days past, it used to contain much more quinine, no more, no more. And in terms of zinc, there have been very controversial reports in the medical literature of zinc's antiviral properties. In high doses, there can be risks. It can affect your sense of smell. Um, and right now, there's no evidence that either in the amounts that would be safe to consume have any powerful action against coronavirus. So... Not ready for prime time yet, All unfortunately. Right. All right. Our next question. Since the tiger at the Bronx Zoo tested positive for COVID-19, do we need to be concerned about farm animals and the food chain? Good question. The short answer is no. Um, the USDA have been looking at this since the very beginning. There have been no reports in the literature that COVID-19 or coronavirus can be transmitted with cooked animal meat. And it is so important that our agriculture supply remains robust mm -hmm. in the midst of this pandemic. So um, nothing to be concerned with at this time. There's no evidence that it can be passed that way. All right. Good to know. Uh, this next question is a big one for so many people. My daughter-in-law is due in two weeks, and we are so excited. How long should we wait before actually holding the baby? Such a great question. Listen, if they're completely isolated and they have not left a hermetically sealed environment basically for 14 days, then they can go and see a new baby. But 
newborns are potentially vulnerable population, um, and so are elderly people or older individuals. So it's very difficult to ever say 100% for sure. But if you have literally not come in contact with anyone else, haven't left your home for 14 days, um, we think you're as safe as you can possibly be. And congratulations on the new baby. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Ashton. And you can submit your question to Dr. Ashton on her Instagram at Dr. J. Ashton. There is much more ahead here on What You Need to Know. A beloved figure at the pulpit, Bishop T.D. Jakes, joins us next. And then it all started with a flicker. The candle maker answering the call to make much-needed personal protective gear for health workers. Stay with us. This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19. What you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. Welcome back. Easter is this Sunday, and public health officials and most faith leaders across the country have asked Americans to celebrate the holiday at home. Here to tell us how we can celebrate Easter Sunday in these unprecedented times is author and pastor of the Potter's House Church in Dallas, Texas, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Bishop Jakes, thanks for being with us. And tell us how you recommend celebrating Easter this Sunday. Thank you for having me, first of all. And there are a myriad of ways that we can celebrate Easter. Thanks to technology, you can still log on to many churches or still providing services uh, like we are. You can stream online. You can experience it uh, in whatever faith tradition that you might have. Uh, we're actually going to serve communion uh, Sunday night, though we're going to do it remotely. Uh, we're still going to be able to do it. More importantly, I think that you can have uh, your own celebration at home with your family. And that's what faith is really all about. It's not bricks and mortar. It's about a hard experience and experiencing that with the people you love with a simple family prayer and Thanksgiving, maybe reading of scripture. It's a time that America needs to deepen its spirituality and to understand that suffering is a part of life but it often leads to success. Yeah, and I love this. You have talked about praying for those who are ministering to you. You're talking about essential workers, and you're also talking about our government leaders, no matter what party you identify with. I think it's very important that we pray for them right now because the decisions that they make, uh, we are the beneficiaries or the victims of the decisions that they make. And the sooner that we can get harmonious flows of information and connectivity, the better the country is going to be. Besides that, we're biblically obligated to pray for our leaders. And I think we need to pray for those people who are on the front lines, who are putting their families at risk, who are serving our families and taking care of us. They need prayers. All of our leaders, our spiritual leaders need prayers, as well as even our reporters and the people who are on the front lines at their own often seeing things that we don't see and, and being bombarded with it every day. It takes a mental toll on them. And we need to just lift everybody up in prayer right now. That is a beautiful thought. I love that. And for Christians, we know that Easter is a time of rebirth, the resurrection. A lot of people have pointed to the fact that that seems like a pretty appropriate theme right now. Tell us how we can reflect on that. You know, uh, COVID-19 collides with the, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. One of the things that I love about our faith is that we do not hide suffering from a part of the faith experience. 
And I would like to say to America, it feels like Friday right now. The jobs are shut down. People have lost their jobs. Some are in the hospital. Some have lost loved ones. We are writhing on the cross of adversity and affliction and COVID-19. It's Friday right now, but Sunday's coming. Mm. And uh, if we just hold out and stick together and go through the process, I believe our country is going to be resurrected again. We are some semblance of normalcy will come back again and we will live after this. Bishop T.D. Jakes, thank you so much for joining us and happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you. Thanks for having me. And now to the tough talking New York City landlord with the love your neighbor message. Tenants praising him for the gesture few can ever forget. Journalist Colm Flynn with this conversation from Brooklyn, New York. I told them not to worry, not to panic. We're going through some very tough times with this monster disease. I would waive all the rent for the month of April. I took care of you, young lady. Keep that mask on. This is Salerno Auto Body Shop in Brooklyn, and the man in charge is Mario Salerno. Would you like a donut? I'm good. I run a mechanic shop, a gas station, and an auto body shop. Mario also has 80 properties all over Williamsburg, and recognizing that so many of his tenants had been hit financially because of the coronavirus, he did what most landlords rarely do. Mario, what made you decide to waive the rent for all your 200 tenants? I wanted them to have some peace in mind, not to worry about where their next dollar was. I told very important all the tenants, stay safe, help your neighbors, and wash your hands. Most of his tenants are young, and many have recently lost their jobs. It was really wonderful, and I really needed it, and it's helping me, and it's going to make it a lot easier and a lot better. I'm not, I'm a lot less stressed out. Mario is like one of the like genuinely like nicest people I've ever met. I don't really look at it as being a hero. I look at it as being a human. So if I could make it easier on someone's life, just pass it on. Ah. Our big thanks to Mario and, of course, to Colm Flynn for bringing us his story. COVID-19 is impacting all of us, and it's up to us to unite to fight it and be there for one another during this challenging time. The most inspiring stories we see are those human moments when neighbors help neighbors. If you are able, we hope you'll remember to support those who are struggling during this difficult time. This is our temporary new reality, and you can really make a difference for someone who needs it. When we come back, shedding a little light in dark times, we will meet the candle company stepping up when first responders need it most. This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach. Welcome back. The coronavirus has stalled businesses across the country, but that did not stop Aileen Candles of Milford, New Hampshire, from lending a helping hand. In just one week, it went from manufacturing candles for big brands to making face shields for healthcare workers and first responders. Here to talk about his company's effort is Aileen Candles president and CEO, Rod Harl. Rod, thanks for being with us and tell us how you pulled this off so quickly. Uh, well, thank you, first of all, for having us. Uh, we decided uh, around mid-March that we would be shutting down the week of, uh, of March 23rd. And immediately after making that decision, we woke up and said, what can we do next? So we've got our supply chain and engineering teams together. 
and uh, downloaded a design on the Internet, and we were up and running in about 10 days. Well, who's receiving these face masks? Right now, we are uh, donating face masks to community uh, healthcare organizations uh, around both of our factories in southern New Hampshire and in uh, greater Columbus, Ohio area. And I understand Aileen is paying your employees to stay home right now, but many of them volunteered to come in anyway to make these face shields. Tell us about that. That's correct. We, we decided uh, really when we had to shut down that finances should not be a concern uh, on any of our employees' minds right now. They should be worried about greater things. So I was concerned when we put out the call to, uh, that we decided to do this, when we put out the call that we needed help. Uh, but all of our employees uh, felt like this was their chance to give back and take part in something uh, much bigger than themselves as well. Wow, paying it forward. Well, we certainly appreciate all that you do and all of your employees as well. Rod Harl, president and CEO of Aileen Candles, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Take care. And we're going to turn now to Dr. Jen Ashton for her final thoughts on this Friday. Well, Amy, I couldn't help going into this holy weekend for so many people, but try to think of two things that could speak to the letters E for Easter and P for Passover, as so many people struggle with uncertainty and anxiety and concerns over this coronavirus pandemic. So for E, I thought of examining evidence and trying to respond based on that evidence and not emotion. It can be so hard, but in science and medicine, that is so important. It really helps to guide us and give us structure um, when we're dealing with something that's so uncertain and so unfamiliar. So that's my uh, tip for the letter E. And for P, for Passover, it's keeping things in perspective. It's another really, really powerful coping mechanism that we use in medicine when we're trying to help patients through difficult times is remember uh, there's a time perspective and there's a global perspective. You might be going through a hard time, but there's generally always someone who's going through a harder time. So hopefully that will help people um, in this weekend and uh, stay home and stay safe and stay healthy. Yes, and celebrate with each other, but just we can all do it virtually. We've kind of got that figured out by now, I think, or at least I hope. Dr. Jen Ashton, as always, thank you for your perspective. We appreciate it. And that's what you need to know for this Friday. Thanks for listening to this ABC News special. ABC News, honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards, ABC News, America's number one news choice. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.